I think there's a theme to every record, and that theme is just that's that season of life. Yeah. there friends welcome to the season two finale of green room door a podcast from utr media i'm dave trout it's a pleasure to be with you as we uh, talk one-on-one with some of the artists making the most meaningful music today and normally on the show most often we have two interview guests in a first half and second half and occasionally we'll do an extended interview with one guest for the whole show which is the case this time around. Uh, We're going to end this season with an in-depth conversation with one of the best songwriters on the planet, really. Andy Gullahorn is our VIP guest. Uh, We're going to talk to him about his latest project and just about songwriting in general and life. And, and you can't help but laugh a little, too. Uh, we're going to have a great time. And we'll be sprinkling in clips of Andy's latest album, which released in late 2008. It's called Everything As It Should Be. And it is a fantastic record. It must buy. It, it did make our critics list of the top 11 gourmet albums of 2018. Uh, I had a chance to sit down with Andy earlier this month. Uh, We both were at the Resource Leadership Conference in Bloomington, Illinois. And uh, this did not be... This this wasn't recorded in a green room, but it was recorded in a hotel room. Ah, the next best thing. So let's dive right into our conversation with Andy Gullahorn. Tell Tell me just a bit about, like where your family is at right now just kind of an update on the Gullahorn house well family hmm <laughs> my family at this moment is all over the place we have uh, a 17 year old a 14 year old and 11 year old and it is currently May which is like the worst month of the entire year <laughs> because it's the end of school tons of stuff going on Good news for me is that I've been traveling a lot, so uh, I've been leaving my wife at home to single parent um, and missing out on all of the things that I should be doing. Um, But in general, we're doing really well. Just, uh, man, you know, keeping up with kids and uh, add work and travel to it is just, it's been so busy that People will look at my website and be like, oh, it looks like you haven't been doing much stuff because I haven't updated my website in forever. But I've just been gone all the time. I'm just gone and busy enough. I don't have people working for me, so I just kind of forget to put things on my website. Yeah. So to the world there, I had a new record that came out like uh, almost a year ago. No, six months ago. or so. I don't know. And I'm on the road. Hope to see you there. Look for the shows on my website. Just kidding, they won't be there. Just hope that you run into me somewhere out on the road. <laughs> so it might be it might be kind of fun uh, for 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 me. Uh, I don't know about for you, but can you unpack? Like I know that you're busy, but I'm actually kind of interested to know. You know what what does the work life of Andy Gullahorn look like in terms of, you know. I'm sure you do some work in Nashville, some work, you know, traveling. Like, what 
what does it look like? Uh, I'm trying to figure that out <laughs> as well. It, it's just different. Every week looks totally different. I will say, uh, in the past years, I, I have done a little bit of production work in Nashville, and um, I don't think that's really what my calling is. There's so many good producers in Nashville, and it, I'm really slow. Um, so this year, I decided that I wasn't going to do any more of that um, and make more space for writing. So the first couple of months, I was doing um, a good bit of co-writing. And when I say that, like one a week, uh, not anything like what it was when I was working, writing for a publishing company. Um, but writing one a week and and... I mean, one co-writing appointment a week and then writing other stuff on my own. So, And co-writing is is when, like, an established artist wants to work with you to... Either to, an established artist or another writer. Okay. That we'll get together and write a song and, you know, um, yeah, just kind of... Uh, yeah. Either writing for a particular record um, or just writing with another songwriter, some, just exploring some yeah. idea. So... I mean, that's why I moved to Nashville in the first place, to write songs, and the production stuff and other things have kind of taken me away from that. Yeah. So this is me just saying, hey, I'm going to pay a little bit more attention to songwriting. Um, so during the week, um, you know, that might happen during the week. Um, but then everything else is just totally... The weekends and, and my travel stuff is just totally random. It's not all normal shows, which I guess is why I'm not putting it up on the website as much. There aren't a lot of shows that are, um, hey, I'm, I'm playing at this club and buy a ticket. Right. It's a lot of private uh, events or retreats or um, it's just all over the place. Yeah. Um, so like just the last three weeks was a week in Australia well, maybe that wasn't even three weeks ago. A week in Australia, home for a day, then drive down to play for a conference in Atlanta, play one song uh, <laughs> in a conference in Atlanta, and then fly to uh, Dallas for three days, and then uh, come back home for a couple days, and then go up to uh, uh, close to Lexington, Kentucky, and then come here uh, close to Chicago and Bloomington, and... Uh, I guess it's not three weeks. I'm, I'm losing track of time. But it's all different. I mean, yeah. the, um, it's really hard to say what a normal week is. Um, and I've been, one other thing this year is there's, uh, I've also been kind of co-writing uh, from afar with my songwriting hero, uh, kind of through emails and stuff. And we're talking about uh doing a record together, which I thought maybe I'd be able to do this year. I don't know. We had to write all the songs first, um, but about doing a record together. So there's all these things that are kind of floating around um, that take up take up my space and, and my time. Yeah. Um, and then you throw in, like, all the extracurricular activities that I like to do. I love to play badminton on Monday mornings, and I, I've had a bowling league. Uh, every Wednesday for the last 10 years um, during the day. 
Uh, unfortunately, I tore my rotator cuff playing badminton, so I haven't been doing any of that stuff the last three three months. But um, I'm training to get back get back <laughs> in the game. That's great. <laughs> That's really what's important. <laughs> What the listeners can't hear, and Dave will probably edit this out, is that we started this interview in his hotel room, and about five minutes into it, all the lights went out like it was. Uh, it turned romantic all of a sudden. <laughs> good, good description. Yeah. Good description. I just don't know his name. I have to love local for the world to change. And it's gonna take. It's gonna take some time It's gonna take the blood, the sweat, the tears We're gonna cry We'll face the night together Until the morning comes around It's gonna take a village To bring love back to this town It's gonna take some time so, so here you are, you know, I don't know, what, at least 20 some odd years into your career, and I'm interested to know about kind of the, the picture you had in your head, the expectations that you had when you were getting started, because I'm sure you probably didn't foresee, like, this, it sounds like you have, um, you don't necessarily have like a a rigid structure in terms of your schedule or it's like you can kind of pick and choose where you sink your energy and I mean like you said from one year to the next you can adapt and change like how did that how is that different from what you thought it might look you know when you got started 20 some years ago oh man that's a great question uh so in major ways, it's like totally different uh-huh. than what I thought. And in some fundamental ways, it's exactly the same. And the, mm-hmm. the way that it's the same is that, I don't know if it's my personality or whatever, it's always just, it's always just been like, well, I'm going to write songs and kind of see where they take me. And so I still have that same uh, posture towards uh, my work life as I did when I was in high school. Um, it, what's different is the places that it's taking me. So, um, you know, when I first moved to Nashville, I just wanted to write songs for other people. Happened to marry this girl who signed a record deal and then happened to start playing guitar for her and writing at, at a Christian publishing company. Um, and so then I thought, okay, my job is gonna be playing guitar for my wife. What an awesome job and writing songs for whoever. And um, so then I just thought, oh, that's that's who I am. That's what I'm going to do. And then, then as things shifted and started having kids, and she wanted to be home more, and I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. And and that's when I started doing my own music again. And shortly thereafter, started traveling with Andrew Peterson as well. So then that was like almost a decade of playing guitar for Andrew, and and still playing guitar for my wife, and doing my own stuff. And it's kind of just morphed into. Most of it is just doing solo stuff. So, so I, I think that's one way it's different. I never imagined me doing my own art. Like, it's not like I'm doing my own artist thing. I'm not with a label or anything. I just keep 
I still see it as I'm writing songs. That's the most important thing to me. What am I going to do with these songs? Well, nobody else in their right mind is ever going to sing them, so I better do it my own record. And then I find myself traveling around and playing shows, and uh, then I find that I enjoy it. So uh, that all just came from being open to wherever the song was going to take me. Uh, another way that it's different is the kind of places that I'm playing. Um, you know, a lot of ways it's moved into a therapeutic realm. So I find myself playing like at, at therapy intensive weekends or or doing these kinds of things where I am playing music, but another big part of it is is engaging in a therapeutic process with with people who are there, and um, you know, that's not how you know when I was in high school dreaming of being a big songwriter or musician my dream was never one day i'll sit in a room with 30 addicts and be, you know like what and like yeah i didn't even know that was something to dream about i mean right. it's, it's not right. even in the the palette right. of, of, of dreaming as a kid and if it was it probably wouldn't be yeah. what i you know yeah. what i picked yeah um and uh when i find myself there i'm like oh i am so grateful uh, I, it's just better than what I would have dreamed of. So I think if, if I had like a 10-year plan or real specific dreams about this is what I want my career to look like, I would have missed out on so many great things that I get to experience now because I'd be aiming for that instead of just saying, man, I'm going to write about what's going on in my life. And then those songs kind of take a life of their own and they go find places and they connect with people in different ways and those people say, hey, this song means something to me. Will you come play this thing? And then mm. before you know it, I find myself in these spaces that I, I didn't even know existed. Um, and they're, they're, they happen to be spaces where I fit. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of a weird answer to your question. But um, yeah, but my theory of it has stayed the same, just kind of following the songs where they go. Yeah. But they just, you know, it's always, you know, I never thought they'd take me to Australia. Yeah. But they, 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 the songs have a mind of their own. Hmm. And they're generally smarter than I am. <laughs> so so uh, one, one thing that has always been inspiring and just that I've been grateful for about, about you is um, that you, you tend to... Uh, you just talked about how you you kind of find yourself walking into situations that you didn't even know existed, and you, I just see that you have always had that personality of um, being willing to kind of walk into new situations, and um, and so I am interested to know, um, like how you mentally handle that, because um, I'm sure you. I mean, you, you travel on the Behold the Lamb of God tour where you're performing in front of, you know, a thousand to two thousand people every night. Um, and then and then you you w- walk into a room with, you know, maybe two dozen people. And how do you sort of prepare yourself mentally to walk into a totally different situation with different size audience, different, you know, like what happens? Well, that's um, one way to answer that is that when I play in general, uh, I'm looking down or my eyes are closed. Mm. 
So I can't even tell the difference between the rooms. Hmm. Just, I mean, like in, in some way, of course you can tell the difference between a room yeah. with 2,000 people and a room with 24 people. But it's kind of like my expectations are kind of the the same in either place. Hmm. And that is, um, I kind of joke that I've made a living by like a non-anxious business life by, by having very low expectations for myself, um, which is partly true. Um, but some of it is like, man, all I do is I write songs. So all I can do is play the song. And whether that works in a room of 24 people or 2,400 people, um, I, I just do one thing. And, and so I, I kind of feel comfortable just saying, well, that's what I'm going to do. And I, I hope it fits whatever this is. Um, but also, I like there's part of me that likes um, not just the challenge. I just like that it's mixed up. Like every new place is different and trying to figure out um, the feel of a room and what the room might need, what the people might, I mean, as if I could know what a room full of 20, I mean, 2,000 people would need. There's not like one need in that room. Mm. Um, but I just kind of, it's just kind of fun to step into a, some unfamiliar territory and then just see if whatever it is that I do, if it, if it works as an overlay to that. And in general, um, I'm not saying that what I do is the greatest thing for all of those all of those settings, but playing music for 20 years, you realize that people everywhere uh, around the world, around the country, a lot the same. So it's it's not um, everybody likes uh, feeling like they're heard or understood or being connected with. Um, so I just kind of I kind of enjoy stepping into the situations and just seeing what will happen. Yeah. I've seen your true heart reaching for the stars somehow pulling them in But on your worst day you're only reaching your end But you don't have to fear your failure or hide the mess you made I'm crazy in love with you On your worst day Yes, I am crazy in love with you On your worst day so um, we have a mutual friend in Rachel Mosley who did your album artwork yes. for Everything As It Should Be, which is a great cover for your album. And um, like, how did that come about in terms of just giving, giving your album that look to it? Well, let me just use this time as a huge plug for Rachel. Yeah. Um, uh, at the Escape to the Lake uh, retreat two or three years ago, maybe. It all I think runs it was two years two ago. Two years ago. Uh, that's when I uh, 
really first met Rachel, and I saw, you know, she did artwork for the, didn't she do the poster for the retreat? She did the poster, yeah. Um, and saw work they did for their own records, and yeah, and I just really liked it, and I also knew she was a nine on the Enneagram like me, <laughs> and so I just, the way that I like to work with something like that is I just see somebody who's good at what they do, and I just said, Rachel, would you be willing to work on this? I don't have like specific artistic ideas yeah. for things like you know the graphic design and the, and the artwork for the cover. Um, so I love to just work with people who I just really trust their instincts. And she was so awesome. I mean, I sent just got some general theme ideas from the record, and um, and she. The hard thing was all the sketches that she sent over, like possibilities for the cover. The problem is like, I loved every single one. I'd be like, oh, that really looks like it'd be great. Oh, that really looks like it'd be great. And it's just impossible. I mean, it's really hard for me to choose. Um, but working with her, she's just so great. She has such great ideas and she's so easy to work with. And um, I would just, I couldn't have been happier with what she did. Yeah. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. I, I've worked with her on a few different projects and cover art and things like that for UTR and uh she you know she, this podcast she she did the art for yeah. for the the logo of this podcast like, yeah like she's amazing so yeah I should also say in the midst of um finishing the art the full layout for the record um you know I think they were displaced from their home uh, from Hurricane. Yeah. And she's working on, uh, I feel bad, I felt like a slave driver. I was like, oh, I have to turn this in. She's like, okay, well, maybe I can find internet service somewhere because, you know, we're under f five feet of water, you know, whatever. I was like, well, just, you know, get in a raft and then work on my record, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, but she got it done. She's, she's awesome. Yeah. I highly recommend yeah. uh, anybody to have a chance to work with her. Yeah. I told you this is a fun conversation with Andy Gullahorn. And we're going to pause it right there as we um, take a quick break. But we will uh, be back to talk more with Andy and especially dig into uh, the making of his latest project, Everything As It Should Be. And uh, we talked about Rachel Mosley, too, which is awesome. She is so great. And we're going to link to her in our show notes so that if you are looking for uh, a graphic artist or designer or um, she does custom art as well um, you could check out her work and um, she does projects for hire she's like a freelance artist so um, she might be someone that you or your company could work with so um, we'll link to her um, and as well as uh, link to Andy's music in the show notes as well we have a couple of really exciting things coming in early June, so just days away. Um, if you are in the Chicago area, uh, we invite you to a special fundraising dinner and concert with Wild Harbors. It's on the south side of Chicago, uh, coming up on Sunday, June 2nd, and it is free. Free admission, free concert, free dinner, yes, uh, it's provided by Beggar's Pizza, which is my favorite local pizza place. And um, it's all happening on June 2nd. You can get the details and sign up for your free ticket at utrmedia.org. 
the second announcement is for everybody, no matter where you're listening across the country, uh, in the first week of June, we're going to be launching a new campaign at UTR Media to help us do what we do and to even do it better. We're going to be expanding our ministry efforts. We want to invite you into that. Um, We're calling it All Aboard 2019, and we really need new contributors, first-time donors. We need folks who have appreciated what we're doing but have never taken the leap to to join our, our monthly support team. We need all of you to get on board because some exciting things are in the works, and we cannot do it without your help. We're going to have special rewards for folks who participate in the campaign. So be on the lookout for the All Aboard 2019 campaign coming very soon. We're going to continue our extended conversation with Andy Gullihorn on the second half of this season two finale of Green Room Door. Here's singer-songwriter Randall Goodgame. I believe the world is a better place because UTR Media is in it. And really, it comes from the passion of Dave Trout and his vision. He's really single-handedly curated a new genre of music for that you really couldn't ever find in one place before, where it's thoughtful, inspiring, creative music that all beats with the heart of the gospel. So my favorite artists are all congregated here, and um, it's people that take faith seriously but also know that they live in, the, in a real material world. And so the people that are on UTR Media sing about the joys and the trials of the human experience. There's just nothing else like it. I'm so grateful for you, Dave Trout, and for UTR Media. You can learn more about our ministry or begin supporting at utrmedia.org. Hey, do you need more gourmet music than what this podcast has to offer? (laughs) We invite you to check out two playlists that UTR hand curates and regularly updates. The Heart, Soul, and Mind playlist features over four and a half hours of well-crafted, faith-inspired music. Plus, our special menu playlist features perfectly timed and specially themed songs. You can find both playlists by opening up your Spotify app and searching UTR Media and clicking follow. And even if you're not a Spotify user, you can still listen to these playlists on our website. And you can read the curator's notes at utrmedia.org. DG. Yes. <laughs> we're going to get right back into our conversation. Uh, yep, we're talking with renowned singer-songwriter Andy Gullihorn uh, today on this part number two of season number two's season finale of Green Room Door. I'm Dave Trout, and um, boy, it's been so great just to me personally to get to know Andy's music through the years and to get to know him as a person. Um, and we hope that this interview kind of brings you into that a little bit. So um, let's dive back in to the conversation we had with Andy just earlier this month at the Resource Leadership Conference in Bloomington, Illinois. Here's more of our Q&A with Andy Gullihorn. I love the name of your album um, and all of your albums have such great names. Um, and, and I know that pretty much, I think across the board, all of your albums are 
you know, pulling from a song lyric. Um, but I'm curious to know, uh, like, how you land on the actual name of the album. Like, do you, when you, when you finish that lyric or that song, are you like, ooh, that, I think that phrase represents what, what's going on? Or do you finish all the songs, then look back and find a phrase? Because I, I've never known how you, huh. your process in doing that. Well, usually, you know, my records are all just a collection of whatever songs I've written in the last year or two yeah. years. Uh, and so for the title, I think I would just have all the songs and record all the songs and just listen through to all the lyrics and see if anything jumps out at me. So yeah. it's, it's more kind of an afterthought yeah. um, to see if there's a phrase that jumps out at me that might um, be thematic in hindsight. So it's not like, oh, this is a theme, and then working with the rest of the songs, it's, it's just seeing... I think there's a theme to every record, and that theme is just, that's that season of life. Yeah. Um, so finding, yeah, it's just finding a phrase from the lyrics that stands out to me. Um, I remember one record, I thought it was two records ago. One of the, There's a song called The Surface of Things, and... That was going to be the name of the record, I think, and, and, and I had the, the graphic designer work on something where, like, above the surface, something looked one way, like, like it was, it was uh, very fertile and, and green, and beneath the surface of things, things were, were dying. Um, but then as, as we were working on that, I was like, oh, that didn't really feel as much like the theme of the record. And then I, I took a different line, uh, Beyond the Frame, from a song later in the record. Um, but that's usually usually the way it works. I'm like, okay, well, I have to pick something that's from the lyrics yeah, and just see what sticks. Yeah, There's not a whole lot of science or thought to it other than, um, I mean, there, I wasn't going to call the record Teenagers. Yeah. So, so <laughs> um, just kind of find something that might sound halfway appropriate. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, okay, so how did... Just tell me about the um, the making of everything as it should be um, in terms of, you know, A, what was your approach for, for, for this album? And B, was there anything that was different from the way you approached your previous albums? Or was it kind of, kind of fall in line with the same method? It wasn't too different. Um... I, one thing that was a little bit different is that I, I kind of released a, an acoustic version of the record first. So I I basically just recorded all the songs with, you know, one to four acoustic guitar tracks and um, had a pre-release version of that. And then I just kind of sat on it for a little bit and then was able to come back to it uh, months later and start adding 
other production elements to it. Um, and the production elements aren't, weren't really different than what I've had on my past records. Although I, I think I had more like pedal steel uh, on this record. It kind of sounds a little bit more country, I think. But um, so the yeah, that was one difference. I, I kind of liked having some space in between doing the acoustic version uh, and then giving it some time to breathe before coming back to it. So I mean, I kept all the acoustic tracks from the acoustic version. Maybe there are some songs where I took some out and replaced it with something else. Um, but I liked coming back at it with a little bit, uh, just a different, more a fresher perspective with the songs. And then I also, um, there's one song that was on the acoustic version uh, that some people uh, seem to relate to, but it just didn't seem to fit on the record. So I took that one off and I added uh, two new songs for the, the finished version. But production-wise, it's similar to the other records, and um, I kind of like a limited palette of, of instruments. Um, I don't know if I like it because that's just what I like to listen to, which it is, or... I'm just limited in what I can do, so I pretend like that's my limits. Yeah. Everything's as it should be. God only knows why it's something to run away from. Or why I'd sabotage it and fear that it might someday come undone. These rain clouds, they won't but at La Hacienda, they have two for one. We'll park in the back where the potholes are paused, and everything's as it should be. I love acoustic music, and, and so I kind of try to keep it in that realm. Yeah. And you, you self-produce the, your, mm-hmm. your albums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so... I'm sure you've had a chance to play, a, you know, probably the bulk of the record live in various settings. Um, has there been any surprises in terms of, you know, seeing a song maybe connect in a way that you weren't expecting? Or I guess just have, have there been surprises in terms of now playing the, the music? I don't know about surprises, and that's not because I, I, I just expected them all to connect so well with people. Um, I don't know. I mean, that doesn't surprise me in terms of your answer, just because, I, especially since you produce the records, like I, I'm, I'm guessing that you have to visualize and dream the song you know before before you're doing the production work and then and then obviously you execute so so i think producers are the least surprised people Hmm. because they're they think so far ahead of what the song will develop into that whereas somebody who maybe is working with a producer might get to the finish line of the Hmm. song and be like whoa okay like this, this took on a, a new right. life. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think for better or worse, that's true. Like I think there, if I worked with a different producer, like 
I think it'd be possible for them to take it somewhere that I would never would have imagined. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the, the good and bad things about me doing my own. It's kind of like I have my initial vision of it, and it kind of stays Yeah. there. Um, but as the... Practically, from a songwriting standpoint, um, I write songs because I, I want them to connect with people. So I, if I felt like it wasn't something that would connect with at least some subsection of people, yeah, um, then I probably I wouldn't put it on the the record. So yeah. to me, you know, when people say, "Oh, how's the record doing?" I was like, "Well, I don't, I don't even know how to gauge how a record's yeah. doing. I, I'll never check." Yeah, Spotify. I mean, I, I don't. I should, but I, don't, I have no clue. Yeah. Right. So the way that I gauge if a, if a record is quote successful is if there are people that are reaching out saying this song meant something to me, and when there's a record where at least one person has reached out and said, "Oh, this song meant you know for each of the songs on the record," I'm like, okay, well then it it did what it was supposed to do. And it feels like, you know, all the songs on this record, all the songs aren't for everybody. Um, but each song feels like it has at least been for somebody. Um, and that, like, well, that's that's really all I can ask for. Um, I'm trying to think if there was a... And, you know, if people really hate the songs, they don't normally email me and tell me that they hate them. So <laughs> luckily, please don't ever do that. <laughs> listening audience do not like your favorite artist does not need to know uh even if you couch it like hey i really love this record i love these songs but this song really sucked just don't just don't say it just leave that stuff out it doesn't make artists feel very good <laughs> that's good that was a psa yeah <laughs> to help the audience yeah yeah <laughs> that's good um so one more uh, question. Um, do you ever find yourself in situations? Well, I mean, I, obviously I know you do because um, you're a part of songwriting groups and you're invited to, you know, talk in, in sessions at, at, at conferences and stuff. You know, um, how do you handle uh, the idea of mentorship and um, and just sort of coaching uh, you know, newer songwriters and um, you know, is that something you enjoy? Is that something that you loathe? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll say I love doing like writer workshops and like seminars and and just talking to people about being creative and, and trying to write songs. Um, I feel like on the spectrum of you know creative people um i'm not on the super like i care more about sports uh and uh games but i love songwriting um but it's not like the the only thing for me i'm not saying it is for other people i'm just saying i i often say i believe that, that writing songs can save a life and i 100 percent believe it and i also think that it's not that important like it's not the most important thing in the in the world, like what I create. Um, but I love having conversations with people about uh, writing songs. Um, 
because I think it's such a, whether it's something you want to do for a living, for me, it's just such a therapeutic thing. It's it's just, it, it really is my primary connection to my emotions and the way I feel about certain things in life. Um, and I don't know what I would do without it. I know other people have their own outlets, but you know, I enjoy talking with people about that, writing songs. Um, and I also love the uh, structure of songwriting. I, I, I mean, I've been a student of um, songwriting structure and formula, and I love the math of it. So I love talking about that too. Now, from a mentor standpoint, you know, I don't, I don't, it's, I don't. That's a weird aspect to think of because I don't think of myself as a mentor. Um, outside of you know doing writing workshops, but I think about who I would say my songwriting mentor, my songwriting hero. When we started uh, hanging out and becoming friends, uh, I remember my parents went to one of his shows and they said, um, "Thank you so much for mentoring our son." He says, "I'm not mentoring your son. He's my friend." <laughs> Which is crazy because he's, you know, like it, it, that. That's crazy in and of itself. But like, that's one thing I love about songwriting. It's, I mean, I've been writing songs for a long time, but it doesn't make me a, uh, able to write a better song mm -hmm. than somebody who just started writing songs. So, I'll write with people who are much younger than myself, who maybe have listened to my music and, you know, were impacted by my music or whatever. But I don't see it as like a, I'm the all-knowing mentor. Let me bring you a, mm -hmm. a long, young grasshopper. It's just like, hey, we're, once, you're, um, once you're a songwriter, you're a songwriter. So we're, we're like, we write a song, it's split 50-50. It's mm -hmm. not, I've been doing this for a long time, so I get 80% and you get 20. It's like everything is completely equal. Which is, I mean, I love things like that outside of the writing world, like the, like my the men's group I've been a part of for for twelve years. Like, there's no leader. You come one time and you have just as much power as people who have been there for twelve years. Well, like a twelve step meeting, it's kind of like everybody is equal. Mm -hmm. You could you could have thirty years of sobriety or somebody who just walked into their first meeting, and like you have essentially the same amount of power uh, in the group because you're you're all the same. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's what what I love about songwriting. So, although I know there are things that I have to offer to, to help, you know, in workshops or whatever, talking about songwriting that might be helpful to some people. When it comes to songwriters, I, I don't even see it as a mentor songwriter. I just see it as like, you know, I've written with people who are way better, you know, way more experienced than I am and have like way more success than I do. And I've written with people who have had way less than me. And it's all, like I said, Every one of those songs would be split 50-50 because I just kind of see it as equal. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Thanks, man. Sure. Thank you. Oh, that was so fun. Oh, I always love hanging out with Andy Gullihorn. It was great to uh, just spend some time with him earlier this month and hope you enjoyed sitting in on that conversation. Um, as we uh, wrap up this season two of Green Room Door, 
Um, if you want more information about Andy and his music, especially his latest album, Everything As It Should Be, you can go to his website, andygolohorn.com. You could also uh, go to our, the show notes of this episode, and we'll provide a link there to, uh, to his stuff. So uh, thank you as well for listening, getting us through the second season of Green Room Door telling your friends about it and we would love to have your vocal endorsement so if if you think of it over the next you know days or weeks ahead um leave a five-star rating and review of this show on on your favorite podcast app or platform and and it does help others find the show so uh, we'd be super grateful for that and while we're taking a break this summer um, take some time to go back through the archives check out any episodes that you missed or revisit some of the fun and engaging conversations just this season alone we talked with folks like the gray havens remedy drive cindy morgan jenny and tyler christopher williams jess ray and a bunch of others uh, and if you want to go back even farther you can um, find season one as well and check out conversations with charlie peacock audrey assad Andrew Osenga, Fernando Ortega, Eric Peters, and a bunch of others. So just some A-listers, some amazing songwriters, people making really the best music on the planet. So check it out. And uh, while, while we take this little break, we'll be back in the fall with season three of Green Room Door. Um, and don't uh, forget to keep your eyes open for the All Aboard 2019 campaign. It's launching the first week of June. It's a great way for you to get involved to help this ministry be strong and to grow in the year ahead. Green Room Door is a production of UTR Media, an independent, listener-supported, nonprofit ministry in Chicago, Illinois, and online at utrmedia.org.